Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to be here with you this morning. My name is Pastor Josh. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Portico, and I want to welcome you, whether you're here in the Streetsville campus, whether you're watching out online, or whether you're listening in on our podcast. We're so glad that you are joining in, and we are excited about what God wants to teach us through His Word this morning. Uh, We're in a series right now called Pressure Points, and in it we've been looking at the things in life that will weigh us down whether in our hearts, on our minds, these are the things that uh, add pressure to our everyday life. Uh, we first started the series looking at how these pressure points can build endurance in our life. So instead of becoming overwhelmed uh, by the pressures of life, I think we can actually harness the things that we face and we can develop perseverance and godly perspectives on life. Now, that's one thing I think you know, to consider about a pressure uh, that you may face in your life, that circumstances can, can, it can certainly impact you, but it's something entirely different when you face a struggle from within. And so today, we're going to be looking at the influence or the pressure that comes when we look at evil and how that influences our lives and the pressure that uh, comes when we look at evil in its impact on our lives and and how we can combat that through what the Bible is teaching us through God's Word. So when we look at this, there's some questions that come to mind. How do we handle temptation and sin? What do we do about the spiritual struggles that we face? Well, to get us going, I want to share a story that I heard very recently. It was a story about a boy who loved going swimming in a nearby watering hole uh, by his home. But he was told time and time again by his dad that he should not go there. Because every time he would go, he would come home soaking wet. He wouldn't go with a proper change of clothes or anything like that, proper attire. He'd always just jump in with the clothes as he was wearing. So time and again, he goes and he disobeys. And so finally, his father, even after all these repeated warnings, finally asked his son in an exasperated way, Son, why have you disobeyed me despite all of my warnings? And the boy answered, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm tempted by the devil. But I'm sorry, I won't do it again. So the father said, good. Now, if the devil is the one that's tempting you, you tell him, no, get behind me, Satan. And the son was like, okay, I'm going to do that. The next day, unfortunately, the son came home, and much to the father's surprise, the boy was soaking wet. And the father couldn't believe it. Just after an incredible moment with his son that he shared just yesterday, finds out that he disobeyed once again. And so he asked him, why have you disobeyed? And the boy said, Dad, when the devil came to tempt me, I did as you told him. And I said, no, get behind me, Satan. But Dad, he got behind me and pushed me in. (laughs) Now, who can relate to that? Who can relate to those moments in life where it feels like we do everything in our power to resist the temptation to fall, but somehow or another it feels like we just fall into that swimming pool? 
Well, I think if we look in the Bible, I think it says a lot about temptation and how we can handle it. So as Doug, uh, Pastor Doug just mentioned, let's open our Bibles and you follow the notes in the bulletin or on our Portico app. We'd love for you to track along with that. Our key passage this morning is found in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. What I want to help us understand today is that temptation is what evil uses to undermine us. But I think we're also going to discover how God equips us to be victorious over temptation. So starting in verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might find a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that, so is, uh, that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. See, all of us are pressured by evil in one form or another. For some of us, it's the visual temptation. It's not enough to notice someone who is beautiful, but our mind takes us to places where it shouldn't go. For others of us, it's greed. We just can't be satisfied with what we have. We need to have more. Or maybe we struggle with emotional stability and we easily lash out in anger. Why should we continually face the things that tempt us? Because when you think about it, if we are a child of God, if we believe that we have said yes to Jesus and Christ is living in us and the Holy Spirit dwells within us, why is it that we face temptation on a daily basis? Shouldn't this be a thing of the past? Shouldn't Christ be victorious in my life and that I should not have to deal with any sin or temptation? But it ends up being a, a, an, a, an actual reality in all of our lives. So if we're going to understand how temptation works and how to defeat it, let's look at where temptation comes from. And when trying to understand the root of temptation, it's important to understand first that God will never tempt you. God will never tempt you. Verse 13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God isn't the reason you're being tempted. Let's just say that. See, God doesn't have this sadistic desire or sense of loyalty that needs to be proved by tempting you to fail. You know, I don't know if any of you have heard this. I've heard stories of this actually happening, where people who are dating or maybe even married have a sense of, they're, they're just not sure, is my partner really committed to me? And so they set up their significant other to be actually be tempted to cheat. And if they pass, then the doubter's mind is put at ease. Oh, yeah, everything is, oh, oh, you passed, that's good. I'm so glad I can trust you. All right, let's continue on happily in our relationship. I don't think so. If, imagine putting yourself in the shoes of the person who is being tested. How would you feel? 
If it were me, I would feel hurt. I would feel angry. I would feel betrayed. And that's why I think for these same reasons, we should realize that God is not the one who's tempting you. He's not trying to test you in your relationship with him. Think about the story of Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness. Scripture clearly says that he was tempted by Satan, not God. The enemy is the one who's trying to mess things up for you and me. It's not God. So when we look at the world around us and we see that it's clear that things aren't the way they should be, we shouldn't blame God for that. What we see around us is the result of the broken world that comes because of the choices that you and I have made. And not because God wanted it that way. But it doesn't stop there because our choices also have consequences. And this demands a response from God. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. You know, for people who question the existence of God or even a loving God, they do so because of the brokenness that they see in the world around them. You and I, though, are the cause of it, and God has to respond to our poor choices. You've probably come across parents. Hopefully you're not one of them. I'll assume that none of you are. But we've seen those parents where it feels like their kids just do anything and everything, and their parents do nothing. They just stand aside, and their kids go bananas. And we're wondering, why don't you step in? Why don't you do something? In the same way, if we believe that even a loving parent should step in when their child is unruly, then we also have to realize that when we step out of line, when we fall into temptation, we have to realize and accept that there are consequences to our actions, and God needs to step in, and he's going to discipline us. But that's good. I know discipline is not good itself, but in the big picture, we need to realize we are being disciplined because God loves us. He is a loving father. And he does it in the hopes that you and I will realize our mistakes and then we will turn from those things. So how did we create the mess that we're in? I think it's because what has happened is we're supposed to be focused on God, but our focus gets drawn somewhere else and we turn our attention away. Think about the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve and the situation that they had. They had everything they could have wanted. God had set them up in the perfect situation. They were lacking nothing. There should have been no, you know, no further story than beyond that they could have just enjoyed the garden forever. Yet in the midst of lacking nothing, Adam and Eve allowed their focus to be drawn away from God and then towards something else that they were led to believe was something that they needed. So think of it like this. We have cell phones that are released almost monthly. Uh, I don't know if you are an iPhone user or an Android user, but it feels like at least once or twice a year, there's a new version of a phone that's promising better emojis or a third camera is actually a, a third camera lens is now a, a feature I just saw advertised last night. There are cameras that have three lenses now because two wasn't enough and one wasn't enough and they get a little faster and they look bigger or smaller, whatever you're looking for, definitely thinner. Everything is, is much better than what you had before, and you don't need what's obsolete, what you bought just two months ago. And so we're willing to spend hundreds, even over $1,000 for the latest phone. I remember my wife, Ruby, even within the last year, was still using an iPhone 5S, and we're already at 10. The world did not crumble. Everything was fine. She still got messages and was able to use Facebook and everything else as normal. Nothing happened. 
And yet we're caught into this world of we need the next thing, we need the greatest thing. And so we find ourselves being caught up in this world of temptation that we need the latest and greatest. But the Bible teaches us that we were created to worship. And I find that because we are designed that way, we are going to worship. We are going to worship. The question is, who or what are you going to worship? Who or what are you going to worship? Because you're designed to worship God, but if you're not going to worship Him, you will find your attention being drawn to something or someone else. And because of that, we find ourselves being drawn into things and circumstances and people that are not healthy for us and that can draw us away from the right attention which is due to God. So that's why we worship. Where do you find yourself spending a lot of your time through the day? Where is your time and energy and resources going? The things that you spend the most resource on, that's what you worship. That's what you idolize. And that's what we have to realize is not where we should be. In fact, the Bible teaches us that we, if we're honest, we should think and we should admit, though, that more important than people and elements in our life are suffering because the time and energy that should be spent on godly things and the right people are being spent on things that are less important. And I think that leads to the situation that we see around ourselves. So you see, God isn't the reason that we face temptation. So if it's God who isn't the reason that we are being tempted, then what is? Well, I believe that temptation is an internal struggle. Temptation is an internal struggle. The Bible is very clear about this. In our key passage in James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Just as we can't blame God for the temptations we face, here's something that's also profound. We cannot blame Satan as well. Satan is not to blame. Satan is the one that is setting us up for failure, for sure. But the temptation that we face, the struggle that we face, that's an internal one. It's our sinful nature that creates a struggle between right and wrong. Years ago, when I was a kid, still in elementary school, me and my younger sister, uh, who was two years younger than me, grew up alongside our next-door neighbors. They had two daughters, and we were all about one year apart. So we were great friends growing up together, had a great time through the summer and the evenings hanging out together. One summer day, I just dawned on me for some reason that I was the one boy with three other girls, and I wasn't having much fun that day, so I decided I'm going to go and off and do something on my own, and I'll try and have fun with myself and, and see what I can get myself into. So I walked around to the front of the house, opened the garage door to our, our home, and my dad, who loves to collect things, because if anything can be used, even in the slightest chance, we should keep it. So I'm rummaging through the number of things that are in our garage, and there I find two tires. Don't have rims in it, just two tires. So what I did was I took them and I stacked them one on top of each other, so they're laying flat and one on top of the other, found a can of motor oil, and then I opened it and poured it inside just so I could see it starting to pool up. Watched it for 10 seconds and I thought, okay, that's fun, and then I walked away, closed the garage door, went off. I think I went back to, to playing with uh, my sister and our two friends, didn't think about it, went back home at the end of the day. My dad comes home in the evening from work, and he was mad. 
very mad. How did I know? Because the first words out of his mouth when he came home was, who was the one who poured oil down the driveway? When I heard it, I mean, I hadn't poured oil down the driveway, but it sounded awfully close, so I knew this was probably me. But given how upset my father was, I was not going to take the blame for this if it really wasn't me. Maybe something coincidentally had happened and it wasn't my fault. So I said, maybe it was me, but I wanted to be sure. So my dad and I walked outside and we went to the garage and he opened it. And what had happened was, as you can imagine, the oil, which is not you know, sealed perfectly in the tires, started to flow down the garage and then down the driveway and onto the street. And so you can imagine, this is a fire hazard, this is a slip hazard, safety hazard, it's going to stain the driveway. So my dad is upset, and we come back in, and first I have to accept the fact, yes, this was me. So that's one problem. Now I've got to figure out, okay, my dad's pretty upset. Is there any way that I can get out of this? Anyway. So my dad asked me, why did you do this? Now by this time, the rest of the family knows something's about to happen. So I still remember as clear as day, my mom and my two sisters were standing by the entrance to the kitchen in the hallway, and my brother, who had been upstairs doing his homework, was standing on the steps, and he was looking down, and, he, and my dad is looking at me with eyes, just like, what? And in my head, I'm thinking, how can I answer this question possibly that would, okay, maybe I'm going to uh, get a spanking, but maybe I can lessen it somehow? And so I said, the first thing that came to my mind, and it was, the devil was in me. <laughs> because if the devil was in me, he gets some of the blame and I take the other part. I kid you not, my dad, without missing a beat, said, well, let's get him out. <laughs> and I got the worst spanking of my life. Now, whether you agree with corporal punishment or not, let me put your fears to rest. I was a, a naughty boy growing up, and I deserved it, and I'm better for it, and I thank my dad for it, and yes, I never poured oil down the driveway again. Okay. <laughs> this passage is key to understanding how temptation leads to sin, because we often want to blame the devil for what's going on, but it's not that. It's the struggle that's happening here. Temptation is the internal lie, which leads to lust, and lust is a desire for something that isn't good. Now, that lust then leads to action, and that action is evil behavior. And then finally, that leads to death or destruction. You see, sin ultimately destroys relationships, and it destroys trust. It's what separated us from God in the first place. Simply put, sin is fulfilling a godly desire in a distorted way. Sin is fulfilling a godly desire in a distorted way. It's not that what you want is necessarily bad, but how you choose to fulfill it is what can be wrong. So let me use this example. Sex. Sex is something that God created and was meant to be enjoyed to its fullest within the bounds of marriage. But the temptation is to enjoy it not in the way that God designed it. And that's why the Bible teaches us that sex before marriage is a sin. And why sex with someone else, even within the bounds of marriage, is a sin. These are the things that can tempt us and steer us away from something that was beautiful, that God meant one way, but we twist into another. So how do we handle temptation when it comes our way? I have good news. God made a way. 
God made a way past our temptation. And this is what I think is so amazing about how God has responded in this situation. Even though you and I are the ones that are responsible for the repercussions because of our choices, and even though sin breaks the heart of God and it's our own doing, he loves us enough to provide a way out. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So first of all, let me encourage you by saying that if you find yourself struggling with temptation in an area of your life, you need to know that you're not alone. This passage tells us that what you're facing, it's not something that's new or something that is not common to man. A lot of people are going through it. I remember back in high school, uh, there was something I was struggling with in my own life, and I felt I had been just alone with this for years. And somehow through the course of a conversation on MSN Messenger, I don't know, how do you remember that? I mean, that's going way back a bit. But typing on MSN Messenger, having a, a conversation with a friend of mine, we came to a point where I felt like I was about to reveal to him this big, dark secret that I had. And I remember my heart started pounding harder and harder and harder, and I slowly typed out this great secret that I had, and I still remember my finger hovering over the enter key for over a minute, just thinking, I don't know if I can tell him. And then finally, I hit enter, and my friend, in the most encouraging way possible, started to laugh. <laughs> because he said, hey, don't worry, me too. And I was like, what? And all of a sudden, I realized, okay, the thing that I thought no one else would understand, no one else would know, he was also facing, and he also understood. So know that what you are facing is not something that isn't uncommon. And secondly, the passage tells us that not only is it something that other people experience, but God is going to provide a way out for you, no matter what it is that you're facing. If you struggle with your thought life, maybe think about something else. If you struggle with greed, don't always look up to the people that you're uh, striving for, but maybe look down, so to speak, at those who have less than you and realize that you should be content. Or maybe even more, realize that there's an opportunity for you to be generous and meet those people in need. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 and 2 Timothy 2, 2 also offer a solution here. They tell us, don't only just flee evil, but pursue righteousness. You see, if all you do is try and run away from the thing that you're trying to get away from, you're not going to get anywhere because you'll just end up running around in circles and all you'll find yourself is being consumed by the thought of what it is that you're struggling with. Because if I tell you, for example, don't think about what you had for breakfast this morning, just don't think about it, chances are you're going to think about that. But if I were to tell you, think about the best meal that you ever, like ever ate, wherever it was, maybe it was a home-cooked meal, maybe you went to a restaurant, all of a sudden, your mind goes to that place, and it's not on breakfast. And that's the same thing here. This is the principle. Don't just run away from what it is you're trying to get away from, but get into something that is good. Pursue righteousness. James 1.21 says, get rid of all the moral filth and evil, and accept the word. Don't just flee evil, otherwise you're going to run around aimlessly like a chicken without its head, and you're going to land where you ended up before. But pursue righteousness. And that's how I believe you will have victory. And since it's your flesh that desires things that aren't good for you, then live by the Spirit. God has provided His Holy Spirit for you and I so that we can live in victory with the strength. And again, knowing that we're not alone. 
and that we can face the things that come our way. And how do we get into, how do we live this victorious life? Get into God's word. James chapter 8, verses 18 and 21. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits for all that he created. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. We talked about how Jesus was tempted. What did he do? He used scripture to combat temptation. I think there needs to be a paradigm shift in how we look at temptation, which I believe will turn things upside down on the way that we face temptation from here on in today. Because it's not just about understanding or needing to know where does temptation come from, what is God's role in that. But even a more foundational truth is this, is that God brings good to you, not evil. God brings good to you, not evil. Let that sink in for a moment. James uh, chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. God is the one who is the provider of all these good things. And not only is God not responsible for the temptations you face, he actually is responsible for the good things that you can experience in your life. Now, if we are to believe that there is good and evil, and Satan, uh, God and Satan, have you ever wondered what their motivations are? What does God want for you? Even more profound, what does Satan want for you? If God only wants good for you, then how does that change the way that you look at the rules of life we have laid out in the Bible? Because God is not wanting to steal your joy in any way, but he's set up these standards of life for us to enjoy life to its fullest in the way that it was meant to be. But now think about what Satan is up to. What is his motivation? Have you ever thought about that? We try and think about what God is up to, but what about Satan? If Satan is the one bringing evil into your life, why is he doing that? Is he genuinely concerned about your well-being and then enticing you to do things that lead to a richer and fuller life? No, absolutely not. His only motivation is to destroy what God has created. You're a child of God. He wants to destroy your relationship with God. He doesn't think that sin is a better way to experience life. Satan knows that sin is bad and only wants to destroy your relationship with God. That's his motivation. He has no inkling of interest in your hopes or your dreams and what's best for you. He couldn't care less. All Satan wants to do is get in between you and your heavenly father. And if he can wreck a child of God, he's happy. But on the other hand, God is the father of lights. Verse 17 and 18, God is the source of light and truth which exposes what is in darkness. God is doing these things for our good. His motivations, his intentions, his desires for us, his hopes and his dreams for us are good. The light that the psalmist talks about in Psalm 119 verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Like we talked about earlier, the Bible is what God gives, has given us to combat temptation, so full Fill your life with scripture. Spend time in God's word. If it's the life journal readings, then do that. They're available on the YouVersion app. They're available every month as a bookmark in our bulletin. And every week in the bulletin, you'll see the week's readings. Psalm 119, uh, sorry, Psalm 139, though, lands in a place where I think we really need to realize and I think will speak truth into many people's lives today. 
and that's God is with you. God is with you. Because when we're in the midst of that temptation, when we're in the midst of facing the evil that comes at us, it can feel like we're all alone. But we should never forget that God is there with us. And there's no greater expression of God saying, I am here with you than with Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. I'm going to invite the communion service to come and, and uh, get the plates and, and can begin serving in just a moment. As we prepare to receive communion, we are reminded that God never abandoned us in our sin. In fact, he sent his son, Jesus, to die in our place. You see, remember, temptation leads to desire, desire leads to sin, sin leads to death. Your sins and mine deserve the punishment of death. But if we're dead, we can no longer be in relationship with God. So God sent his son to die in our place so that the punishment of sin could be atoned for and then we could still be in relationship with God. So as you receive the elements today, may you be reminded of God's measurable love for you. What a wonderful privilege it is whenever we gather around the table to remember Christ's death. The fact that his body was beaten and broken and bruised on our behalf. The fact that he shed his blood when it should have been ours. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God who would love us that much. And so when we take part in these elements as a church family, it saddens us in some ways because we realize we are the reason Christ had to suffer. It's because of those times when we fell short and we couldn't resist the temptation and we gave in to sin that Jesus had to do what he did in order that we might have life. So yes, it's sad, but we also have reason to celebrate because what God has done for us has given us life. It's given us hope. And God did it out of his love for us so that none would perish, but all would have eternal life. God, I want to thank you so much that as we are about to take part in these elements, we thank you that it is because of your great sacrifice that we get to share in this today. And that we remember, and we don't take lightly, the great sacrifice that you paid on our behalf. And so when we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we do so remembering what you have done, we remember with heavy hearts, but we also celebrate because of what it accomplished for all of us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So with grateful hearts, let's take part in the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So with grateful hearts, once again, let's take part in the cup together. As we conclude today, let me ask you a question. What can we do to combat the evil that we've been talking about today? What can we do to combat the evil and temptation that you yourself may be experiencing even in these days?
We've already talked about some practical steps to take, like Bible reading and steering clear of bad situations that would lead to temptation. I also think, though, that there is a principle that we can take from verse 19 of James chapter 1. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. How many times have you found yourself in a situation where you're having a spirited conversation with someone, and you're just going back and forth, and they say something, and immediately something comes to mind, and you're like, oh, as soon as I say this, I win this argument. I've got them. And so you cut them off, and you say it, and most of the time you don't have the victory that you thought, but you thought it should have worked. Or maybe you realize, you know what, I'm going to be polite, I'm going to be mature, I've totally got this closing argument that's going to win as soon as I wait for them to finish. But how often, once you've let them finish, did you realize you weren't even listening to what they were saying? You were just so focused on what it is that you had to say at the end of their argument. What this verse is telling us is to go against what your instinct says. Because instinct tells us to give in to temptation when it comes. What this verse is teaching us is a principle. Don't do what you're inclined to do, but instead... Be quick to listen, not slow to listen, but be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So what's one principle we can take from this? Instead of facing temptation and realizing, I just need to give in to this, realize that there is great victory that can be had if we are willing to trust in God for the strength that we desire and the strength that we need. And we don't have to give in to temptation when it comes our way. I'm going to invite you to stand as we're getting ready to close now. I want to just take a moment to pray with all of you. As you've been listening to this sermon this morning, maybe some of you are here who are listening in the room or listening online or on the podcast, and you realize, yeah, I get that there is a problem of sin and temptation and evil in my life, but I've been going about this all alone until now. And you desire to be in relationship with God for the first time. If that's you, I want to invite you just to join me in a prayer that I'm going to say in a moment. And this is an opportunity for you to say yes to the relationship that God has for you, to say yes to the gift of forgiveness that is being offered to you. And because of that, you can enter into a new relationship with God that allows you to experience all the good that God has for you and in store for you and all that he wants you to experience. Or maybe there are some of you here who are already in a journey of faith. You've already said yes to Jesus, but you realize that you are facing a difficult struggle right now, that there is one or even more areas of your life where you feel like the temptation that you're facing is just too much to bear, and you feel like you're at your end of yourself, and it feels like there's nothing more that you can do, and it feels like every time you come up against this area of your life, you continually fail. Well, I want to pray with you as well, that pray that God would give you the strength, the renewed sense of hope and and joy and a presence of his Holy Spirit in your life. And so first, with just a quick raised uh, hand, with everyone's eyes closed and head bowed, let this be a private moment for everyone here who's listening. If you've never made that decision to be in relationship with God, if you've never said yes to Jesus or accepted him into your heart or received that gift of forgiveness, but you want to do that, you recognize the evil in your life and you want God to take care of that for you and help you through that on a daily basis, if you want that for your own life, would you just quickly raise your hand up and down and I'd just love to pray with you in a moment. Thank you, yes. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. One more. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How many of us would also maybe say that I'm already in a relationship with God, but I need help. I need a renewed sense of the Holy Spirit, of his presence in my life. I need the overflow of the Spirit to give me power and victory over the area of life that I so long for. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I'd love to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. So many hands over around the room. Thank you so much. And if you're online and you're listening, please let your chat host know. We'd love for you to pray with you there as well. Let me pray for all of us right now. God, I want to thank you so much for today. Thank you for teaching us from your word the, the reality of temptation and of evil. But God, we thank you that you are here with us, that you are God with us. That, God, we are not alone in what we face, but you are the one who provides strength and comfort and hope in the midst of hopeless circumstances. Lord, for those of us in this room or who have been listening online, Lord, those who have said and made a decision for the first time saying, I want to be in a relationship with God, right now, God, I just pray that in the quietness of their heart, Lord, change and transform them right now. Even in this moment, I pray that they would experience a peace, a love, and a joy that they have never experienced before. May it be confirmation that you are doing a new work in their lives, and that from this day forward, they are going to be a new creature, a new creation, a new person that now gets to experience the full plan that God, that you would have for them. Lord, for those of us who have needs, that we recognize that there is evil and temptation that we are facing, God, I just pray right now for victory. I pray, God, for victory in the name of Jesus. Lord, in the name of Jesus, there is victory, there is power, there is hope, there is healing, and there is restoration. So right now, God, no matter what it is that all of us are facing, whatever that may be, however big it is, God, you are bigger, and we claim that right now. So God, I pray that there would be a renewed sense of hope, a renewed sense of peace, a renewed sense of your presence in all of our lives right now. And we thank you, God, right now for the victory that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.